New week on the Just Baseball Show. Think about what uh, at Just BB Media just tweeted out about half an hour ago. Jack McMullen, Arm Layton, by the way. But David McKinnon brings around Monte Harrison from second to give the Angels a two to one lead. That's so bad. Yeah. So if you showed me that, you, you didn't have to tell me anything else. You showed me that ahead of the season, I would have said, okay, things went bad. Things went south. Injuries uh, took over this team. And uh, that is a great way. It's just kind of a great microcosm of all of it. Because if those guys are getting ABs for you, you're in trouble. And that's the obvious thing here is the amount of ABs that are going to 500 OPS guys on the Angels lineup right now is disturbing. Can I admit something? Because we've talked about it and we've talked about it with Peter too. Like there are very few guys in Major League Baseball that we've actually never heard of before. And David McKinnon, when he made his debut with the Angels this year, was someone I had never heard of before. I'll be honest. I'd never heard of him. Uh, And especially with like you and I just being, especially you at this point too, because you're in triple, which is where these guys kind of spawn from is these are career and and not to to like bash on David McKinnon. Awesome for him. So yeah, pumped right. that he's making his big league prorated salary. I hope he rides it out as long as he can. Hell yeah. But, but the triple A guys that have been in the minor leagues for, for 10 years or whatever uh, that no one really knows of because they're not notable prospects when they perform well, nobody cares. They have to do it at the big league level. That's kind of McKinnon at this point. And, uh, you know, he's, he's done okay for them, but legitimately I'd never heard of him in my entire life. Yeah, man, we've got a lot to get to. So we'll we'll keep it at that with the Angels. There was also a brawl here, and we don't really understand the origin story here. I was listening to the Mariners radio broadcast, and they said that the, the Angels were intending to hit J-Rod, and they hit Winker instead. I don't really get it. Uh, Rysel Iglesias throwing the, uh, the like cooler full of seeds onto the field of play. Did you see that? Dude, I, I honestly... I've got some some uh, like catching up to do in regards to the fight. All I saw was hitting Winker in the butt and then just the escalation from there. I didn't really see all the individual, you know, cut scenes yet. Yeah. So Anthony Rendon apparently like hit somebody with his cast um, and that. Yeah, it's just bizarre. And then uh, Rysel Iglesias, he took this like almost like a Yeti cooler with sunflower seed packets in it and actually just turned and burned. Like you're throwing a med ball against a wall. He just let it fly onto the field of play. What's that going to do? I have no idea. I wish he threw some seeds at me. Yeah, I would That'd take them. I would gladly take them. Um, I just like, usually there's, there's this buildup, you know, like in hockey where they'll fight before the puck drops and you know, it's coming with yeah. baseball. It's not always to that degree, but generally you have this buildup, especially when it's a second inning brawl, which is when it was Yeah, uh, that clues you into what's going on. Maybe, you know, obviously you and I are not sitting down watching Mariners Angels every day. I think we're pretty briefed on the league, not watching every day. But I don't feel like there was this like buildup of of anger and emotion and animosity that led to this. I don't really see where it came from. I don't I don't know where it came from between the two, but within each 
team, like I could absolutely see it. Like these are probably two of the most frustrated teams in baseball this year with what they were expected to do and where they're at right now. I feel like this was just the perfect storm and they're both in the AL West. Good reason to just drop haymakers left and right. But on a lighter note, Mark Appel is a major league baseball player and you're laughing watching a video about the uh, Angels brawl for some reason. I found the seeds video. Yeah, it's just bizarre. I wasn't even looking for it. I just wanted to see. I searched uh, Winker on Twitter to see if anything else came up. And I just saw that, that like med ball throw. That was impressive. It was impressive. And they slow-moded, I think, Bally Sport West. <laughs> slow-moded the, the seeds and the whole thing in the air. I mean, Rizal Iglesias pumps triple digits, right? At least upper 90s. Like, it makes sense that he's capable of that kind of force. Yeah, I mean, the core strength. He, and just, like, yeah. he gets all of it into it. But also, like, it wasn't just, like, I'm grabbing something next to me and throwing it. He grabbed it, takes it, like, five hard steps, running start up the stairs of the dugout and yeets it. That was the craziest thing I've ever seen. But, yeah, let's talk about Mark Capel. <laughs> I could see I could see Rysel Iglesias just saying, you know what? We've kind of calmed down a little bit. You guys want to see me do some funny-ass shit? Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, it was over, too. No one was, it was on the totally field. over. It was over. And he just grabbed it, and he was like, I'm going to throw this because I can. And he got ejected for it. Yeah, what does that show? Like, what does that do? That now just some other guy has to go clean it up. You think Winker has to go back and pick those up? Dude, like, who know. are you inconveniencing? <laughs> Oh God, I have no idea. That's Baseball fights might be the dumbest in all of sports, but they're I don't know. so fun. Do you remember the uh? It was it was it Pirates Reds. I mean, that was Amir Garrett Pirates Reds. But was it was it Johnny Cueto that got up on the backstop and started kicking people with yes. metal cleats? Yeah, I that think was, it was Cueto. Phillips was involved in that. I don't remember who was who was. I mean, people, that was so obnoxiously stupid from from Cueto. Yeah, those things are metal. Those Dude, weapons. they're weapons. It's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, and apparently a cast on Anthony Rendon is a weapon too. But Mark Appel, this guy has been to hell and back and he's a major league baseball player right now. And you can't help but feel amazing for a guy like this. And this isn't some, you know, oh, we'll throw him up here for two innings because it's a great story. I don't know if you remember what the Marlins did with like the one at bat thing with Adam Greenberg, former Cub. Oh, Marlins, yeah, 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 I do. Yeah, they hit him in the head and basically effectively ended his career. And then he got this whole like one at bat thing. Like, it's it's not like that. Uh, this guy is shoving as a reliever in AAA. And and for those who, you know, might not know how good Mark Appel was supposed to be. I, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong here. He was selected eighth overall in 2012 as a high schooler, turned it down. I don't know what the exact figures were, but turned down a substantial amount of money. And said, now nah, I'm going to go to Stanford. Goes to Stanford and goes 1-1. Um, that's hilarious. So he was 15th round out of high school. And then he was a draft eligible sophomore. Pirates took him eighth in 2012. He said, no, nah, I'll go back for my junior year. That's he it. Goes okay. back for his junior year and in 14 starts, punches out 130 and 106 innings and goes 10-4 and four with a 2-1-2 ERA. So he goes 1-1 right ahead of Chris Bryant in 2013. He plays, he's not that good, he deals with some injury issues, and then he's out of baseball entirely here. He was with Lehigh Valley at the AAA level, started 17 games in 2017. He was done from 2018 through COVID. He came back in 2021, he pitched between AA Reading and AAA Lehigh Valley, and he wasn't good. He had a 5-8 ERA and six starts in double, and then... 15 appearances, nine starts in triple. He had a 6-1-7 ERA. So it's like, okay, Mark Appel, you know, he's that 
He's that bad bullpen piece that's, you know, what could have been story for a triple-A baseball team. But you're right. I mean, you come out this time, he is a full-blown reliever. He's got a 1-6-1 ERA in 28 innings. Yeah, and then this is legit. I mean, he's he's closing ball games for them in Lehigh Valley. 24 Ks and only eight walks. He looks pretty solid across the board. This is a dude that that could end up carving out a nice little career for himself at the big league level as a reliever. And is that what we expected? No, but this is a guy that was fully expecting as of 2017, 2018 range to legitimately never pick up a baseball professionally again. I think when he retired, he more than likely was calling it quits. And uh, this was the amazing thing. I encourage everybody to go check out Mark Appel's Twitter account, which is awesome. And he tweeted, it's his pinned tweet. In 2013, I was the number one overall pick in the MLB draft. Five years later, I was called the biggest bust in MLB history. Today, I'm working my way back, and I'm here to share both the hard-earned lessons I've learned along the way. Uh, I I just – I can't say enough how amazing that is, not only to to come back and do what he's doing, but even if he flopped in this comeback, to be so transparent and just be – Yes, I was called the biggest boss, but this is what I learned. And hopefully you can take something from this too, because not everybody gets the opportunity to be the biggest boss and learn what you learn from that. I mean, this thread, go check it out, but also just the humility, uh, the honesty. How can you not root for Mark Appel? I was doing a Mark Appel ERA watch on my personal Twitter over the last couple months, yeah. and it just kept going down. Uh, I'm so over the moon to see this guy at the big league level, and, and I can't imagine what he and his family feel like. I mean, this guy earned it. Again, a, that that threat, he's at Mark Appel 26. And if you just search Mark Appel, he'll pop up. But, you know, midway through that thread, one of the notes that he passes along is it's OK not to be OK. And he's got a photo of a locker room wall that he absolutely obliterated in 2014. And this is a year after he went 1-1 and he's struggling. And he said, I experienced depression for the first time in my life that go around. So this guy was dealing with mental demons to the point where he stepped away from baseball entirely got very comfortable with who he was as a human being, and then decided that after he laid that groundwork, he was going to hop back in and do what he loves. And now he's doing what he loves and he's doing it in a, in a Phillies uniform. It's not a, a Redding or a Lehigh Valley iron pigs uniform. Yeah. So I love it. I, it's so awesome. And, and I, I hope he can, you know, stay up there in that Phillies bullpen. The beautiful thing is he's a, he's in a great org to survive in the bullpen. Oh yeah. <laughs> that bullpen's a problem. Um, you got an and, ERA sub five. You're, you're the next yeah, coming. Yeah. Clean up duty. You're fine. But so far he looks like he, he could potentially be a little bit better than that. And, and I mean, the Phillies are in trouble right now. I'm, I'm glad there's a positive story over there because, you know, as you know, down goes Bryce Harper. Yeah, negative story, transition, good move. Harper was the next guy that I was going to. He took 97 off the right thumb, and he broke his right thumb. He done for the year? No, I don't think he's done for the year, but it's so tough, man, because hand, wrists, when you're a hitter like Harper or anybody, just a hitter, period, it it really hampers your swing. And this is a dude that was already hampered to a degree. I, I was talking about why I actually thought that the UCL injury was almost making him a more well-rounded hitter, even though he's made those strides in his career. But you could see Bryce Harper taking swings that were much less violent yeah. uh, because it literally hurt to swing and miss with the UCL issue. But just counting the UCL plus the thumb. Dude, he's beaten up. I, he's beaten up. This team, look, they were showing signs of life. But do you want to run Bryce Harper into the ground, rush no. him back for this? No. I, I don't think he's done for the year. But I think it's going to be one of those things similar to Tatis where – 
whatever timeline we're expecting, I think it's going to be longer than that. And that sucks because Harper was having a phenomenal year. You mentioned it. And I agreed with your point that, you know, this guy could defend his MVP uh, if he continues to do what he does. And even though he was DHing, the offensive production was so good. The Phillies can't replace that, man. No, I mean, Bryce Harper is as irreplaceable as you possibly get. I mean, it's him, Trout, and and others. Judge, maybe. Although, we'll see what the Yankees do with Judge next year because he might get his bag elsewhere. We'll see what happens. But Harper, you know, his ability to just go ballistic is unmatched, right? And we saw it last year. That's why he won his MVP because he went ballistic and he carried his team into the playoff conversation. You're missing that ability for one guy to go absolutely ballistic and carry you to wins. Um, So if the Phillies, if they, if they absolutely flop, like I think we both think they will without Bryce Harper, then there's no point in rushing him back, but we know what kind of competitor Harper is. And if he feels okay, if he feels 70% (laughs) and the Phillies are near 500 and have a fighting chance that expanded postseason, he's going to rush himself back. I know it. Well, I'll say this. I, he was playing with the torn UCL. Yeah, and like, he was playing. <laughs> and I will say, though, one pushback, though. Kyle Schwarber does have the ability to be the ballistic man for you. Okay. Now, counterpoint, Kyle Schwarber is not that good. And my reasoning is he only has 10 homers in June of 2022. In 1998, Sammy Sosa had 20 homers in June. So he's half as good as Sammy Sosa in 98. Not that good. Not that good. I, I actually think I'm very interested to see because like on, on a serious point, like who's going to step up, you know, is it going to be Schwarber having that ballistic stretch that, you know, you said someone needs to do Hoskins or, or I, I really look at Castellanos because yeah, it's Hoskins is swinging it. Well, if you take out the first two months, he's got well over an 800 OPS Schwarber's at an 842 OPS has 21 pumps and he had a slower start as well. Nick Castellanos is a 693 OPS, Jack. And and I think that is what's really kind of hurting them because he's not going to give you anything offensively. I mean, defensively, excuse me. You're hoping that every inch of value that you're going to get is going to be from the offensive production. And he's just not been that good for a lunky, you know, slow guy in a corner that's going to hurt you defensively. I'm shocked that Castellanos is swinging it this poorly, given that, you know, he's still in a hitter friendly park. He didn't, you know, decide to go to Lone Depot or to Seattle. I mean, this is still a hitter friendly park. He needs to step it up. 24 games in June. Nick Castellanos is slugging 275. He's got a 550 OPS in 24 games in June. No homers, nine driven in. That's not good enough, man. Especially now. So now. who do you think steps up or nobody and they falter and just, just continue to fall? You know, like, unfortunately, I'm saying nobody and I feel like I'm constantly shitting on the Phillies. And I, I understand everybody like I'm constantly shitting on them, but I just don't have much faith here. Um, and, and I guess Castellanos is the guy that needs to step up if Schwarber can keep doing what he's doing. Great. Um, I'm also looking at a guy like Real Muto. Like, yeah. He's just been average for the last year and a half. He's just been average. He's supposed to be the best catcher in baseball. Catcher is the thinnest position in baseball by far. Be the best catcher in baseball again. Yeah, no, it's, it's funny because now we're listing all of these like all-stars. We're listing all of these great players and saying one of them needs to step up. Really, they all should be playing well. Yeah, they really all should. Or at least most of them, and they'd be in pretty good shape. And I think that's what the, what the Phillies were banking on. Uh, but I will say Aaron Nola looking really good. Looks great. Looking really good. And that's what's the most frustrating part is it almost looks like they might piece the pitching together. 
Like it might just be there. And then Bryce Harper goes down. Yeah. I mean, Nola has 109 strikeouts, Jack, 13 walks. Jesus. <laughs> That's phenomenal. He's looking like the guy that we've always asked him to be, right? And he's one of those expected innings. stats going to kick in. They're yeah. kicking in. No, I mean, he's eating innings. He's great. He's got a sub three ERA, 96 and two thirds, 109 punch outs. A couple of guys that I want to shout out here because I think they do have two good bullpen pieces here. Connor Brogdon is one of them, yep. a 204 ERA and 19 appearances. And Nick Nelson, I know the season hasn't gone to plan. He just put down, I think, 11 in a row yesterday in San Diego. I, it, Nick, he's got stuff that can get them through chunk innings. And I think that's what they need. Yes, uh, yeah. they need Knievel. Like, yeah, they need a closer. Yeah, they need a setup guy. But how about when the other three guys in the rotation, not named Wheeler or Nola, can only go four or five innings? Have somebody get you to the eighth. And that's what Brogdon and Nick Nelson can do. I, I'm with you. I, I, and I think they can go get one of those guys too to, to solidify that. And, and I'm, I'm a big proponent of like the closer is, is somewhat of just kind of, I don't believe in that title as much anymore. I think you need to have as many guys who are capable of closing as possible. And then the guy that is going well for you that year is typically going to be the guy that I'll call the closer unless they're Josh Hader or Rizel Iglesias or a few other guys. But personally, I look at it and I say, unless you get those elite elite closers, just get as many high leverage capable guys as you can get and throw them in the bullpen. The Phillies are a game and a half out of the playoffs. They've got to go for it. They've got to go for it. They've got to go get bullpen arms, right? Yeah. When do you think the, uh, when do you think the appeal and the mystique of the closer role changed for you? Cause for me, I think it was 2016 when Cleveland got Andrew Miller and they just started throwing Miller in in the sixth or seventh. Whenever there was a high leverage situation, he was the guy, and then Brian Shaw was the one closing games. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I don't know if I can pinpoint, because that's a, that's, a, that's a great uh, example of that. I don't know if I can pinpoint a specific moment. It was more so just watching what the best teams in baseball were doing. And, yes, yeah, some of the best teams in baseball had that true closer. Yeah. But also just seeing what a lot of really good competitive teams, it was almost like a slow burn for me, where yeah. I'm just looking, I'm like, it, this trend continues and continues who decided that the last three outs are more important than maybe the three outs you need in the eighth inning. If it's the middle of the order. Yeah. And like you said, in the postseason, that becomes more prioritized. And I think that started to spill over as, as starters went shorter. I think it lessened the importance of, of that closer. And look, if you can get a Josh hater, that's fine. And Great. Do it. The, this, there was actually a, uh, Dan Greenlee was on swings and misses and Dan Greenlee's the assistant GM for the Marlins. And, you know, there was a, a, a few things in there that I thought was backtracking and, and you know, political answers. But yeah. there was one thing that he said that I thought was very fair. And he said, everyone wants us to get a closer. Do you know what the asking price is for a true identified closer? Fans would hate whatever we gave up. It would have been whatever we could give up to go get uh, an impact player. Like whatever we gave up for Stallings, essentially. Imagine more than that. You know, way more than that. Uh, you know, people hated the, that we gave up Meisner for Wendell. Imagine three Meisners to go get a closer. Would you want that? And the reality is no, because you can go sign guys or you can get guys out of the, your, your they system. Spawn. They, they spawn. They spawn. You see it now. You see it now. I got a text from Matt Mervis yesterday. Throws me a name I've never heard of and goes, this guy could be a big league closer. I feel like I hear that every day. This guy could be a big league closer. Like there's Relievers a million guys with that kind of stuff. Spawn. You see it. Yes, I see it all the time. And I saw what the White Sox just did last year at the deadline. They went and got a closer, Craig Kimbrell, who is incapable of pitching when it's not the ninth inning. They went and got him. They tried putting him in in the eighth, and he floundered because they had already paid a closer, what, like close to $70 million for Liam Hendricks. But they had to give up Cody Hoyer, who could very well, when he's healthy, be a closer 
or a really good setup guy. And then Nick Madrigal, who's an everyday second baseman, which is what the White Sox so badly need right now. But they've got Lenin Sosa. Great. And it's so volatile, right? Like to that point, the, the Marlins go out and I'm just using what, what I see closely because no one keeps up micromanages bullpen situations unless it's your own team. Right. Uh, the Marlins go out and get Cole Solcer and Tanner Scott. I would have bet my life that Cole Solcer would have been the guy that was taking over as closer if somebody took over at some point this year. Tanner Scott's the Marlins closer. If you're a fantasy player, pick him up if you haven't already. He is the Marlins closer. He is the closer, and, and, and that's the guy. The Marlins went into this year without that expectation, but they go to him in the big leverage spots. Today, he went. He pitched in the ninth of a tie game. Sometimes I've seen him pitch in other spots, but he is their closer. I feel like we need to change that term, though, to almost bullpen ace because yeah. it doesn't need to be the guy that's closing it. It's the guy getting the most important three outs. If yeah. it's three, four, five in the eighth, and you're facing the Angels, for example, do you want your closer in the eighth? Or would you rather have your closer facing McKinnon in the ninth? And, and Monty Harrison, yeah. Or do you want yeah. him facing Trout and Otani? So it, I think that question answers itself, and I do like that bullpen ace. Uh, let's talk about the White Sox real quick, because there yeah. was an ESPN story that came out, and Tony LaRusso, I do believe, said this in a press conference, that um, trainers were advising players if they felt like they were an easy out, like if they hit a ground ball to short, you don't have to book it down the line. Your legs are important. Save your legs with the White Sox having 10 guys on the injured list. The training staff is telling guys not to book it, to, to take it easy on the base paths, take it easy running to first base. Found that really interesting, and I found that loaded, and I think it can go a bunch of different ways. Yeah, so Mr. Old School on the podcast here, what's your interpretation? My interpretation is that sucks, and I would never tell a professional baseball player not to book it. I, but I, I think so, too. But I understand the situation. You got 10 guys on the IL. I get the situation, too. They're just trying to survive. I get it. I, I, I do understand. Here's my thing. These guys are grown men. If they feel like their body isn't right to book it there, I would just make it clear it's okay to not book it. Like, we're not going to bench you if you feel a little tight, but you think you can play. I, I can't pretend I know what, to play, what it feels like to play 162 for a decade plus, which some yeah. of these guys have. We're talking about Jose Abreu. And I know some of the other dudes are younger, but still. Uh, they've probably yeah, been mean, playing. Yohan Moncada can't for, stay on the field. Yeah. Moncada cannot exactly. stay on the field. So, so here's the part of it too, though. If you can't sprint, should you be playing? And I think with the replacement level players at this point that, that are filling in, I think I'd rather have some dudes that can't sprint. I'd rather have Tim Anderson at 50% sprint speed than some of the guys that have been out there. Would you rather have Danny Mendick or one of your starters at, at 50% health? Well, Danny was playing well, but he just tore his ACL. So, oh, shit. so I'm an asshole. I well, and, and now, now you're down another middle infielder here. Also, did you see what they said about Lenin Sosa? This is a temporary move and he will likely go back down when a, a second base option is healthy. How <laughs> idiotic they, is that? Then why'd they even bring him up? How idiotic is that? You bring start up somebody clock. else. Bring up, yeah. I mean, dude, grow, go grab one of those like Zach Remillard types. Go grab a, a David McKinnon from down there so you don't start your top prospects clock. And Lenin Sosa, I mean, he's become the White Sox top prospect. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That being said, I'm, I'm amped again. I, this is something I didn't, I wasn't really clued into until we went on our trip through the South and just talking to these guys about getting called up in the minor leagues and all those things. And, and about being like kind of tossed back and forth, like a rag doll. We were yeah. talking about uh, Lewin Diaz. And it's like, I feel so bad for him. And they're like, yeah, no, like we get it. Like we feel for him. Like he should be 
you know, there for a longer period of time. But at the same time, he he likes it. He's happy overall. Like it's frustrating, but he would prefer that than just being stuck in triple. Oh yeah. Prorated salary of however many thousands just for being there for one day. So for, for guys that have been working their butts off for so long to get that, that quick paycheck, hundred percent great. But uh, on, on the baseball side of things, why would you do that? You know, why would you take a hot hitter, bring him up to the big leagues? Basically he, he's going to, it's the equivalent of not playing much because he's, he's not in the lineup every single day. Right. I mean, he, he, he's only played in certain spots so far for, for the white Sox since being called up. He got a start. Um, I think he's gotten back-to-back starts. He just had his first MLB hit yesterday. Yeah, I just – it's not every day, though. It's a different environment. I think he's ready for a big league call-up, but you got to let him roll and go and play yep. every day. And I think to cut it off, I, I don't think it makes much sense. And you ride hot hands. Um, and I, I think a really good example of this is what Pittsburgh is doing with Bly Madris. Bly Madris is in the lineup every day, and he was having the best month of June in the International League. Bly Madris was hitting over 400. He had an OPS flirting with 1,200 in the IL, and then he got his call up, and he's had multiple three-hit days already. I mean, he is carrying this hot stretch. Like, obviously, he's seeing the ball really well right now. Let him play that through. Lenin Sosa is one of the leading hitters in minor league baseball. Let him play that through. Yeah. Let him go out there every day. If, if he, he struggles, hitting, then send him back down. And if he was hitting 350 and double, he's not going to hit 180 at the big at the big league level. He's not going to. No. And, and if he does, it's got to be something mental. You send him back down and you work through that because it would have happened eventually anyways. I, I agree. If you're if you're hitting the way Lenin Sosa is hitting, and, and bat to ball-wise too, not Kang, doing the things that he's doing, you're not going to get absolutely blown up at the big league level. Is he going to hit great? I don't know. That's the question, but he's going to be serviceable. And I ask you now a better, a better example. Would you rather have Larry Garcia or would you rather have Tim Anderson not running hard ever? I would rather have Tim Anderson not running hard than Larry Garcia, who has been in the three hole. And does he have a sub 600 OPS right now? He's a sub 500 OPS. No way. 191, 210, 254. God damn it. That's pretty good, right? Hey, Cease look good. <laughs> um, all right, next thing. Best team in baseball just got no hit by our guy. Christian Javier, seven innings, no hits, one walk, 13 punch outs. Hector Neris, Ryan Presley finished it off. Christian Javier is really, really good. Yeah. Dude, so the, the fastball, we talked about it when we were discussing it on, on the podcast before, and then you, you pulled it up. You said that the in terms of, of vertical break, it's it's number two, right? In terms of induced vertical break, that Saturday afternoon game between the Yankees and the Astros featured the two best starting pitchers in terms of induced vertical break on their fastball. So, Garrett so, Cole, Christian Javier. It stays up. Yeah, exactly. So it's the most counterintuitive thing ever for those listening. They're like, what the hell is induced vertical break? Basically, the, the the higher the number, the the more it stays up. And and, and again, it's counterintuitive, but I think he was flirting with 18 to 20 inches of induced vertical break, right? Which is which is elite. And that's really what gives the fastball that riding action, making it stay up. Again, I know it's counterintuitive and it's weird, but it makes the fastball really stay on a line. And and that's why Javier was getting so many swings and misses. That's what Nestor Cortez does. He has one of the better fastballs when it comes to induced vertical break. It just stays on a line. And think about it. If it doesn't drop off, it's always going to look like it's it's faster. People talk about spin rates. There's usually a pretty direct correlation between high spin rate and 
induced vertical break because the spin just allows it to kind of cut through the air and stay up. And that's exactly what he was doing. And Javier threw 79 heaters, I believe. Was that the total? Which is absurd because basically hitters knew the fastball was coming and they still couldn't hit it. That was combined with the life on it and the location. But he also has a disgusting slider that was just thrown enough for guys to have to worry about it. But what really amazes me about that start, Jack, is that he could have given you the old fastball glove gesture and guys yeah. weren't hitting it because they were sitting heater and they could not hit it. And when he gave you that slider, it was over. 13 Ks will back that up. Dude, I mean, he had, yeah, he had 13 whiffs on 79 fastballs. That's it, ridiculous. 79 heaters. That's a 70% clip. He threw 115 pitches, 79 fastballs. That's 69% of the time. And it was a really nice fastball on Saturday. You see what I did there? But then you've got the slider as well. He's a two-pitch guy. He threw four change-ups, two knuckle curves. He threw 79 fastballs. He threw 30 sliders. He no-hit them through seven, got 13 whiffs, got 19 whiffs on the two pitches, and was elite against the best offense in baseball. That two-pitch mix that will survive as a starting pitcher. And, and that's a lineup that crushes fastballs. They crush everything right now. But it, it, I, I would expect him, when I saw the stat line, I'm like, oh, he must be just spamming sliders. He wasn't. And, and that, to your point there, like that many fastballs thrown and guys aren't hitting it, that's when you know it's a good pitch. It's almost like that everybody knows pitch that I was telling you about where everybody in the stadium knows the fastball's coming, the hitter knows the fastball's coming, and you still beat them. That's when you know. That's basically what he was doing all day. All day. And, and the Yankees, again, though, to, to, to give the Yankees some credit, to get no hit and then bounce back and uh, you know, come up with, with a big clutch win not too long after that is pretty impressive. And, and Aaron Judge continues to be just the most ridiculous player in baseball. But the Astros are proving that they're no slouch either. And they might be, you know, that they might be the second best team. Is that fair? Could they be the second best team in baseball? Yeah, with what Javier's doing, with what Framber Valdez is doing. And, and you mentioned with McCullers waiting in the wings right now, too. It looks like he's not that far away. And obviously what Verlander's doing and that bullpen. Hector Neris looks great. Presley looks great. The offense is so good. They haven't missed a beat here. Um, and no, Maybe I it just came back. Think about what the possibility is for a seven game series here in the ALCS between Houston and the Yankees. It would be so fun. It would and be because so there's, fun. There's, there's animosity there, which I love. They it's hate like, each other. It's respectful animosity though. It doesn't get ugly with the brawls or anything like that. It's a lot of veterans, but they hate each other. The fans hate each other. I love, I love this rivalry. I'm, I'm here for it. And I mean, the Red Sox are playing great and, and they could end up giving us an, a, a good series, a little bit more than just a wild card game. Hopefully if it shakes out right. And they make the playoffs. I'm still not betting on the, the Red Sox to make the playoffs. I'll die on that hill as I did last year. And I did die on that hill. Yeah. Um, but the Astros, are, are they better than the Mets? I think so. I think we'll see are. what happens when Scherzer play. and DeGrom come back. That's the thing. That's the thing. But Justin Verlander, I mean, he shoved it up the Yankees. You know what, too. Yeah, but okay. So Verlander, let's call him the equivalent to Scherzer at this point. But yeah, I, I mean, would, I would say so. No one's equivalent to DeGrom. Javier and Framber equate to DeGrom. Hell no. No, but I would, I think I would. Yeah. And yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But I would say, you know, if, if both of those guys aren't full blown back and, and good to go, you got a good case for the Astros who look like a, a team that just continues to be great. Imagine losing Carlos Correa and not really feeling it. What's not feeling it. Um, let's flip to the NL side, a team that wants to go deep into the postseason. Um, their quote unquote ace 
just had a dead arm spell in a spot that wasn't bothering him. The Cardinals just lost Jack Flaherty early in his outing. And Katie Wu, the athletics said that uh, Ali Marmol said that it was a, it was a dead arm thing. I, how does that happen? I mean, he wasn't pitching. No, you know, I, I don't know. Dead arm has always been a very ambiguous term, you know, cause it could be a sign of an actual injury or it could just be. I'm tired. Arm. Yeah. I'm t- yeah. Dead, just the arm, not really responding the way that you hoped. I guess it's good that he's not feeling pain, but I've never heard of dead arm in a specific spot that dead arm. As, as far as I understood of what that is, you're is, just hanging. I feel fine. I'm throwing and it's 82 and I don't know why. And it's just yes. like, it's fatigued, but I, I can throw. It doesn't hurt. So dead arm in a specific region doesn't make sense to me. That's not at least my interpretation of it. That's not what I thought it was. I, I'm going to pull up the actual tweet uh, from Katie just to like clarify what no, because I did see something very similar and it was dead arm sensation, I think is how it was phrased by Ollie Marmol. Um, yeah, here we go. Katie Wu. Ali Marmol said Jack Flaherty experienced a quote dead arm after the second inning and the move was mostly precautionary. Marmol did say the sensation was not in the same area of prior concern. The yeah, team will evaluate more tomorrow. I don't really understand. That's not if you're feeling a sensation, that's not dead arm to me. That's, yeah. that's an injury. No, that's my elbow hurts or my shoulder yes. hurts. Yes, that's some different region of my shoulder is hurting. And, and you know, we can we can dive into that side of things. I get it. It's got to be really tough for managers. I, I do think about this a lot, especially when we're credentialed and we go to cover a game and reporters are doing their job. But at the same time, you know, they're, they're asking about players and these managers, they care about their guys. They don't know what they're supposed to say and what they're not supposed to say and whatever. And it's a really tough spot for a manager because you phrase something like that and you got idiots like you and I picking apart their words. Yes. But like we it's our job to do that. And it's his job to say something. And it's tough. So that's why I always like to wait and see what they say. But I wouldn't be surprised based on his kind of wishy-washy, uncomfortable answer that he was in a weird spot and there's something worse going on. And, and I hope that's not the case, but it just shoulders i always am a skeptic with the shoulders and that seems to be the the issue with flarity it's more shoulder than elbow which just sucks and it, it, think about it because obviously like you've been in that major league clubhouse um the role of the manager so much of it is being the media bitch yep. like you're talking i to never the realized media. that you're talking to the media three times a day at least i never realized it jack until we, we covered the games and Don Mattingly was so pleasant to me and even like, you know, gave me a hard time and made me all nervous and, and then joked with me after and chatted me up and he was great. And, but I never realized it's like before the game and then it's after the game. And then, you know, it's, it's between games oftentimes. And it's just so often, and you're the one that's got to wear it. Big loss, crushing loss. Why'd you do this? Right away. Why you're did, the first well, on the podium. Yep. You know, with, with the Marlins meeting situation. Why does everybody hate jazz? Basically, it was like a yeah. question. And he's not going to say what happened in there, but he also has to say that, that the meeting, it, it, I feel so bad for managers in that regard. I know they make so much money and it's fine, but when they're not defending themselves, they have to defend their players. And sometimes I feel like it, it, it's not that easy to defend these guys. So it's a really tough job, a really tough gig. And I will say though, Ollie Marmol has done a great job so far. Yeah. Where are the Cardinals at? Because that we talk about how McCullers is waiting in the wings. Jack Flaherty was waiting in the wings. I think you have to go the rest of the season, assuming that you're getting nothing out of Jack Flaherty. Yes. I hope that that's not correct. And I hope they get something out of him. But the assumption that you are getting something out of Jack Flaherty will set you up for failure. Uh, you cannot pencil Jack Flaherty into your rotation moving forward. Does that mean that this was kind of, do you think this could have put them over the edge to go make that big move? I think they have to now. 
I really think they have to. And, and they're a game back in Milwaukee who's getting hot. They're seven and three over their last 10. They just took both games over the weekend against Toronto, who, by the way, uh, sound the alarms on the Toronto Blue Jays, my thought. They're five and five um, over the last, uh, or no, they're three and seven over their last 10. I, I'm ready to sound the alarms on Toronto here. Um, You're going to write one? Oh, you're ready to sound. I thought you said I'm writing sound the alarms. I'm like, oh, I'm looking forward to that. Article. Oh, no, no, no. I'm ready to sound the alarms on the Blue Jays, but I might ready to write that too. If you want we'll Just see, I mean, the power rankings are going to drop this week. So oh, true. You can, you can kind of, kind of incorporate that in there a little bit. hundred percent. See if our new guy, uh, Tyson Shishkowitz wants to, uh, sound Dude, the alarm he's been killing it our, our blue jays guys have been killing it yeah that's the better guy to write that no offense because i think he can decide if they really want to sound the alarms because fans are either too soon to sound the alarms or way too late yes. i feel like there's no in between but he is really good he's been really objective and breaking things down and i think with the struggles of burrios that's a team that definitely needs to figure things out do they make a trade too is the pitching more like are, are they more likely here's my question for you are they more likely the blue jays to go out and pray a pity so pay a pay a pay pretty a pity penny. penny. Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, pay a pretty penny for one of the elite pitchers out there that are going to be on the market, meaning like Luis Castillo, Frankie Montas. Who's more likely, Jays or Cardinals? Which bird? Jays, the blue ones. Um, blue ones. I think the blue ones. I just think that they're more willing to fire from the hip, and I have no idea what the Cardinals' philosophy is with the prospects because they've got some guys popping up right now. You're having Alec Burleson on the call up tomorrow. He's leading the international league in hitting. He's also leading the international league in OPS. He's hitting for power. He's not striking out. He's not really walking that much. Uh, and he's and not he's, a top five prospect for them. No, he's the number nine prospect for the Cardinals. 23 year old with a 155 WRC plus and triple A. Mason Wynn is blistering balls in double A right now. Jordan Walker, double A might be too easy for him at the moment. He's a 300 hitter as a 20 year old. I, this is, they've got a gluttony of riches. Go use them, St. Louis. But I think that Toronto is just going to obliterate the farm in order to go try and win this year. You think, you think so even now? Do they really feel like they can keep up with the Astros and the Yankees of the world? Do they, do they feel that way, you think? I think so. I, I mean, this is how they felt during, you know, like, during the first couple of weeks of the season. Well, and they should feel that way. It's just now with Barrios looking the way he's looked with, with Nate Pierce and also that other waiting in the wings guy, not, not waiting in the wings anymore. Lat injury. He's probably not pitching this year. Yeah. And, and then of course you lose Ryu all of a sudden this, this newfound rotation, Kevin Gosman's inconsistent though. I think he's, he's solid. It's a lot on Alec Manoa, who's a young pitcher who has been eating a lot of innings. I would love to see the Cardinals make the trade because Moises Gomez, even a guy that's popped up and hit 23 pumps for them in double A this year. Like, I don't know. I know you and I, we joke about it. I ask you every, every week, basically, do you believe in Moises Gomez now, Jack? And you're like, eh, we'll see. I, I don't know if I'm sold on a guy with 23 home runs and a 34% K rate, but he's 23 years old. And that's a guy that you could probably use in a package to trade too. The point is their assets are appreciating and the Cardinals don't need to part with an elite prospect and meaning one of the big three to go get a dude. And maybe they're more willing to trade Libby now. It's been a little while since we've talked to Katie Wu. Okay. So I just saw Libby on Saturday. I just called that game. It was Libby and Mike Burroughs, who has been kind of a pop-up prospect for the Pirates. He was great in Altoona. He's nasty. He's got two pitches right now. He's got to work on that changeup. But he's 95 to 96 with a heater and a hammer of a curveball. So he's got to incorporate the changeup. Nasty. Curveball's gross. 
Libby really didn't look good through his first three innings, but then went four more and retired everybody. He threw 104 pitches. Libby threw 104 pitches in a triple A start. I loved it. Um, but I mean, it, this is a guy who's like, yes, his arsenal adapted as the game went on, but he was getting hit really hard in the first three innings. That's the thing is I feel like he has to be perfect. And, and I wonder if, if Libertor is just more closer to that. I hate to say it is more closer to a David Peterson type than a number one starter. And I know these are very wide parameters, but who is he closer to? What is he closer to? It's tough because, you know, you look at Libby, you look at the pitch mix and you say, okay, like best case scenario, this guy turns into what Mackenzie Gore is as a prospect and, and as a rookie right now. Right. And it's pitch ability, good stuff across the board. Every single pitch not good of- enough. Every single pitch of Gore's is better than every single pitch of Libby's. That's the thing. So you're looking at a poor man's lefty pitchability guy. And I think that's a four. Yes. And and so the answer would be he's closer to a David Peterson than he is to a a Shane McClanahan. And I know that's very, 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 very high bar to set for this guy. But if I have a prospect that I deem is untradeable, he better have a chance to become something close to a number two or number one. Got to look like McClanahan. He's got yeah, it. Or just have a chance, have a shot at being yeah. that guy. I think that ship has sailed. I think Libertor could still be a really solid big league starter, but that's not a guy that's stopping me from getting a verified, confirmed stud with control if Libertor is one of the pieces that could be a headliner for the right team. I'm doing it in two seconds. I think I'm doing it too, but I, I, I'm not doing it for Jordan Walker. Um, no. And obviously you're not doing it for Gorman. No, no. Are those two guys you're not trading. Fair. Are you doing it? Are you shipping off Mason Wynn at this point? I don't want to at all, at all, at all. I would trade Libertor before I trade Mason Wynn. Mason Wynn is, is phenomenal in every way. For those who are listening who might be like, I've never heard of Mason Wynn. I don't blame you. He's a second-round high school guy, overslot, was okay last year, uh, freak athlete that has turned into a well-rounded baseball player, and, and he looks like he could be a superstar. That's a guy that I could guy. picture – any kind of outcome. Like, I don't know if it's going to happen. There's a lot of things he still needs to improve on, but you can imagine what that guy could be. I don't think you can dream on Libby that much anymore. Make I'm imagining, I'm imagining Bush stadium on a Saturday night. It's a two run game and Mason Wynn trades in his glove from shortstop to hop on the mound and throw the eighth inning. I would love if they let him keep doing that. I would love if they let him it would be awesome, that. dude, it would be awesome. What do you he think he's 100 on the mound? For those wondering, he was he was a two way guy out of high school. And obviously he's an 80 arm if he's 100 on the mound. Yes. He's got the best arm in minor league baseball in the infield. So I'm not trading that guy. Trade Libertor. Trade Libby. Either way, do they both need to go get an arm or they, should they both do it if you're in both situations? I think you should both do it. Um, I, who are the buyers for another arm? I look across the league, man, like. I don't really think that many other teams need to necessarily do it. I don't think the Angels are in a position to do it. The Astros are great in that regard. You look at the first place teams like the Guardians, they don't need any pitching help. The Brewers are fine. It's really just to me, it's Cardinals. You could argue Phillies, but they don't have the resources. Blue Jays and the Rays need a bat. Who, who else is really c- competing to try to go get an arm? The Giants, maybe? Depending on how Bueller is... Uh, trending as we get closer, maybe the Dodgers. Yeah, I was say, the Dodgers are always going to be in, right? Like, did we would we have said that the Dodgers needed Max Scherzer last year? No, but they did of it. Of course not, but they did it. So yeah, I would say Dodgers, Cardinals, and Blue Jays. It's not nearly as 
busy of a market and twins, I think you could say too, but I don't think it's nearly as busy of a market as it has been in the last couple of years. And and it might be a good time to to try to go get an arm. I don't think the market's going to be as crazy as it's been. Might be a buyer's market. Wow. That would be nuts. It ain't that New York city right now. I can tell you that I might be homeless. (laughs) I hear you, man. Um, All right. Last thing for me, heard Manny Machado might be back tomorrow. So did his, I'm so confused. His, I was positive that his, his foot dislocated. Yes. Yeah, snapped in half. I was positive that, I mean, it was horrible, but the, that's the best, honestly, the best news because with Tatis out and then the situation of just Machado going down as well, not only are the implications of the Padres who are a game and a half behind the Dodgers, which is incredible. And I know the Dodgers have had their own injuries, but still losing Machado, I think would have been the nail that kind of like, put the seal on the coffin there where I think they would have started to sputter offensively big time if they lost Machado, he comes back. They've tread water enough over the last week or less. This team's going to continue to be just fine, but thank goodness Machado's okay. It's been a week, dude, looking how that looked to the naked eye, thinking that he wouldn't even go on the IL and he would just be out a week and he could come back on Tuesday is crazy. I was positive. It must have been the camera angles. I don't know what it was. His foot looked like it was his reaction angle. too. Yeah, he it must have really hurt. I I don't know. He or maybe he was just scared more than anything. You know, most of you like anticipate the pain sometimes yeah. and then it doesn't hurt that bad. Yeah. Like I'd assume Machado's a pretty tough dude. Um, but yeah, I actually thought he was he was he lost his leg. Like I thought it was done so. Yeah, I mean it was horrible. So uh, that's it for me. Oh, Ole Miss. Ole Miss won the natty. Shout yeah, I, I want to talk Ole Miss. I want to ask you one last question, though. Are you? Would you now shift to saying that the Padres are the second best team in the NL West over San Francisco? Yes, I think I've been on that train for a minute now. Okay, cool. Because I, I just I wanted to just just ask you about that. Hey, as soon as Gore solidified himself as somebody that is like a legitimate rotation arm for them, I was sold. Yeah, I I just I always looked at the Padres and I, I thought we were really quick to go off of them. And uh, they get that Tatis guy back. They could be pretty darn good. Now, we're still looking at Hassan Kim in the lineup every day and Jose Zokar in the lineup most days. They're it's, winning. I know they're winning. And you got Tatis coming. Yeah. And Abrams hopefully being able to contribute more now that he gets his second look. Abrams, yeah, he's been solid since he came back up. He looks a little bit better. But uh, Ole Miss, what a story. What a story. Again, weren't they, they were one of the last teams in. I think they were the last team in. They were certainly one of the last four. That it, it would the final in itself was a what a story. I was honestly rooting as we all probably were for a third game, more college yeah. baseball. Uh, but you know, it's cool to see Ole Miss just, just kind of take take control of the whole thing and just it, 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 there really wasn't a doubt over the last couple of days was the way they were able to command things. And I, I thought you know, Oklahoma would still had you know a little bit more left bullets wise in the pen, like some arms, whatever. It just didn't matter. If a team is hot, it doesn't really matter. And it seemed like Ole Miss was exactly that. Hundred percent. I mean, it. You know, am I kind of bummed that we didn't see one of the uh, one of the top national seeds win it? I yeah, a little bit because I do like seeing you know a really good team during the regular season hoist the trophy at the end. Um, I think that's the beauty of the NCAA men's basketball tournament because you have St. Peter's get so far, but you still have one of the best teams in the country win the national championship. Yeah. Yes, but like you still have that level of like anybody can win it. I think. Yeah. To a degree. Um, yeah. and, and I think for the first time 
maybe ever, or at least since well before our time, baseball is just has such a deep level of talent and such a large pool to choose from. I'm curious what you think about this, that college baseball just has more parity. Like, yes, you have the, the Vanderbilts of the world and, and, you know, even Tennessee this year, but Ole Miss is a power five school with a great, great following in terms of what they do uh, in terms of getting people in the seats or whatever it may be. But even looking at the Dukes of the world, like if you're a power five school, there's so much talent to choose from that. I feel like every team has a chance any given year and every team is loaded with talent. There's just so much to go around in terms of just exciting, exciting, talented players. And Ole Miss is a perfect example of that. Yeah, hundred percent. And and speaking to your parody, I mean, Central Michigan had multiple All Americans. Cal Poly had multiple All Americans this year. There's a lot of really good baseball players, and it doesn't matter where you are, it doesn't matter where you get your shot, it doesn't matter what level of the minor leagues you're in. There are so many good baseball players out there right now. I'm watching a guy in Columbus right now, which is Cleveland's AAA affiliate, Mitchell Tolman. He's raking. Why do I know that name? I, he's 28 years old. He's a second baseman, third baseman, and he's raking. He's hitting right around 300. Like there are so many good baseball players. He's got no spot in Cleveland's order right now. And you look at a guy like Andrew Taylor at Central Michigan. He's a really, really good arm. He's one of the best arms in the country. It's that type of thing. So I, I, I think that there are good baseball players all over the place. Right state. Right State's one of my favorite underrated baseball factories. The home of Peyton Burdick. Peyton Burdick, J.D. Orr, who had his first oh. homer the other day in 700 minor league at-bats, but he, he's the fastest dude in the world. Uh, but, no, you just got those pipelines everywhere, sometimes mid-major schools that are really darn good. But, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's a great time for college baseball. I thought a lot of the regional games were a lot of fun and kind of clued me into how much talent there is. And I'm excited to continue to ramp, ramp up our coverage on the just baseball side of that moving forward, because uh, there's a lot to love about college baseball. hundred percent, man. What else you got? Ah, that's about it for me. I'm really excited to talk to Alec Burleson tomorrow on the call up. Yep. Um, we've got some fun interviews ahead. Uh, I think we've got Darren Ravel on the schedule over the next week. <laughs> we've got three guests this week. We've got uh Let's see, we've got Tucker Davidson coming out tomorrow, who's been throwing pretty well with Gwinnett at the AAA level. Um, recurring guest now, Tucker Davidson. Yeah. We've got Darren Ravel, uh, which is going to be fascinating. You and Peter are going to talk to Ravel about the collectibles market, which is going to be super interesting, especially with the National coming up in July. Um, and then we've got uh, my king, Howard Kelman, my broadcast partner, on year 46 with the Indianapolis Indians uh, coming on. Uh, Friday, July 1st is Howard Kelman day in the city of Indianapolis. It was no. named after him after he broadcast his 6,000th game in, uh, Wait, in the whole city. Yeah. The, the mayor of Indianapolis in 2017 dedicated July 1st as national or as uh, as Howard Kelman day in the city of Indy. What? So we're going to release it on Friday on Howard Kelman day on Howard Kelman day. Yeah. We're going to release it on Howard Kelman day. They gave a triple A broadcaster a six thousand games. Oh no, it's amazing! But this is the best thing I've ever heard. You've it's got a awesome. shot, dude. It's amazing. You've got a shot. Give it like forty-four more years, and you might have a day. I might have Jack, a day. We'll Jack see. McMullen day. I'm gonna hide in, in a closet for twenty-four hours until it's over. God, that's gonna be awesome, man. You're gonna be so jealous. <laughs> I, I am. That's awesome. That's gonna be my first question. <laughs> so, Howard Kelman day. <laughs> What do you, how, do you, that? how do you celebrate 
<laughs> I just exist. <laughs> just yeah. me. I just hang that's out. Awesome. Yeah. That's so awesome. that's going to be great. But yeah, those are the three interviews lined up. Um, Peter and I will have a, a conversation with Tucker Davidson tomorrow. Again, Alec Burleson on the call up later today. See you guys.